Uh, well, friends, I wonder whether you've heard the, word, uh, the, the name Washoe before. Washoe. Uh, Washoe was a chimpanzee who was kept by the University of Oklahoma for a research project. Uh, they wanted to teach this chimpanzee called Washoe how to communicate with human beings. And so uh, they spent many years uh, teaching this chimpanzee sign language. Uh, They taught her human concepts. And finally, after many years, they were ready to let Washoe express herself for the first time in sign language. But do you know what the first phrase that she communicated to her owners was? Nope. Well, uh, it was the words, let me out. Uh, It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Let me out. Although she was well fed and physically comfortable and safe from harm, uh, her first words were, let me out. Uh, Now, this is something we can relate to, isn't it? Uh, It's not just chimpanzees, but we human beings uh, also deeply prize freedom. Uh, We can think of nothing worse than to be locked up ourselves. Uh, That's why we lock up our worst criminals by themselves, because, uh, in fact, we we can't imagine anything worse that we can do to another human being than to take away their freedom or liberty. Uh, We all want freedom and we think that it is a cause that is worth fighting for. However, freedom is such an elusive thing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, on the one hand, uh, our world has come to corrupt uh, this notion of freedom. Uh, You know, the fight for freedom used to be something that was quite noble. Uh, I think uh, William Wilberforce, who worked so hard uh, to uh, abolish uh, the slave trade, for example. Think Martin Luther King, who fought for freedom from racial segregation. And yet in our world, freedom has simply become an, indivi- an individual freedom to do whatever I like, whenever I like, with whoever I like to do it with. In other words, freedom has now just become about the individual freedom to consume and to have sex. However, even with this kind of freedom, uh, it's also true that in many cases our freedom has met the slavery of other people. Uh, The freedom in the West to buy a particular brand of shoe often means slavery for children in sweatshops in another part of the world. The freedom of the West to watch pornography means the sexual slavery of women in other parts of the world. Our freedom has meant the slavery of others. On the other hand, there is also the reality that whatever freedom we have in this life or fight for in this life also comes to a dramatic end because we all die. Uh, You know the famous scene in Mel Gibson's Braveheart where he plays the role of the the Scottish hero William Wallace? Uh, He shouts these immortal words, They may take our lives, but they may never take our freedom before he is promptly mown down by the English. And so what is true freedom? Where do you find true freedom? Are you free? 
Uh, these are the sorts of questions we want to wrestle with uh, this morning together. Uh, well, friends, I'm sure you'll agree that if nothing else, the book of Exodus is a book about freedom. Uh, and today we come to that bit where, as a result of the tenth plague, Pharaoh sets the people of Israel free from their slavery, their bitter slavery in Egypt. Uh, you can see it there in the passage, can't you? If you have your Bibles open, uh, in chapter 12, verse 31, chapter 12, verse 31, Pharaoh finally relents and lets the people of Israel go. In verse 33, the Egyptians are urgent to send these people out of their land, given the calamity that has fallen on them. In verse 36, the people of Israel plunder the Egyptians, as God has said they would, so that they leave the country not as slaves, but as royalty. In verse 37, we are told that the people of Israel number 600,000 people, uh, sorry, 600,000 men, rather, which probably indicates that there were about 2 million people, if you include uh, men, uh, women and children. Uh, that's about the size of the city of Perth. And in verse 40, we are told that after 430 years of bitter slavery in this land, the people of Israel were finally set free from Egypt. Uh, it's an epic story, isn't it? Uh, it's so epic that it's been turned into uh, a Hollywood animation movie called The Prince of Egypt, which uh, some of you might have seen. But uh, what are we to make of this part of God's word? Uh, what does God want us to understand from this true story? Well, some people say that the story of Exodus teaches us that God is on the side of all those who are physically oppressed in this world. Uh, it's a way of reading the Bible called liberation theology. Uh, listen to how one author uh, describes liberation theology. He says, uh, Liberation theology is first of all about the oppressed. It views the Christian faith through the eyes of the poor, the wretched of the earth, the non-person. It proclaims God's solidarity with the left out and the destitute, the ratted on and the spat on. And so if God is on the side of all the physically oppressed in this world, then uh, this kind of reading of the Bible says that it should be the priority of Christian people to spend a lot of uh, their energy and their time freeing the oppressed, from, uh, the oppressed in the world from their slavery. You know, even to this day, we have the awful slavery of child labor. Uh, we have the sickening trafficking of women into prostitution and sexual slavery. Uh, we have all sorts of uh, oppression and injustice and slavery in this world. And so many people say that it should be the Christian priority to work at changing uh, the structures of this society, the, the social and political structures of this society, so that these people can be set free. Now, I want to say that there is a certain amount of power in this kind of thinking, isn't there? Uh, I mean, if we open our eyes to the oppression and slavery that we still see in this world, and if that doesn't move us to some sort of compassion, then there is something wrong 
there, I think, isn't there? Uh, further, I think it can be good for Christians to be involved uh, in some shape or form for advocating for these things. However, I want to suggest that this way of thinking about Exodus cannot be what God is saying to us in this passage. For one, in the book of Exodus, God is not committed to all people who are oppressed all around the world. No, he is committed here, and we've seen this again and again, to the covenant people, his covenant people of Israel that he has bound himself to. Uh, further, there is no instruction for the people of Israel to work at changing the, the structures of society to win their freedom. In many ways, they are to be passive, as God does the work of liberating them from this awful slavery. And yet, there is a tremendous significance to this Exodus story. And the significance you'll see there is in the blood uh, if you have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 21, chapter 12, verse 21, notice there uh, what Moses says as he instructs the leaders of Israel. He says there in verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for, yourself, uh, for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, uh, which is another herb, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Uh, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Uh, why does God tell uh, the Israelites to smear blood uh, on the doorposts? Well, it's not simply a way of identifying the Israelites, is it? As though God you know, couldn't tell where they actually were. Um, if, if that was the case, he could have simply told the people to get some red paint and just uh, put it on the doorposts. No, it's because the blood symbolizes that a lamb has died in the place of the Israelites who also deserve death for their sinfulness and for their hard-heartedness before God. You see, it's not simply that the Egyptians deserve to die for their sinfulness and their hard-heartedness. No, if you read through the book of Exodus, you will know that the people of Israel were just as sinful and just as hard-hearted against God in many ways. And yet by God's grace, he allows this lamb to be substituted in the place of sinful Israel so that God's judgment of death will pass over them, as we heard in our kids' talk. You know, when everyone woke up the day after that first Passover, there would be a death in every single family across the land of Egypt. The only question was, would it be a lamb or would it be a human being? However, no one really believes that a lamb is a fair exchange for a human life, do they? No one believes that a lamb can properly substitute for another human being. 
And that's because through the Exodus, uh, what God is doing here is he's setting the stage for a better lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who could substitute his life for all those who put their trust in him. And that's why when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time in John's Gospel, in chapter 1, he, see, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, he is the one who dies in our place so that God's just punishment of sin, for your sin and my sin, passes over us, such that we are freed from the guilt and penalty and the power of of sin. Uh, the story is told that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes series, decided to play a practical joke on 12 of his closest friends. Uh, he sent them each a telegram that read, Flee at once, all is revealed. Apparently, within 24 hours, all 12 friends had skipped the country. Friends, I don't know what particular sins you are wrestling with at the moment. But it is true, isn't it, that underneath the surface, uh, you and I are all guilty of sin in our life. Uh, Hard-heartedness before God, perhaps. Uh, a rejection of his ways. Uh, some of us are keenly aware of our guilt, and there are things that still continue to haunt us. It might be something that we've done in the past. It might be something that we continue to wrestle with in our lives. Others of us might not feel anything in particular, but are in fact guilty of sin. Now, whatever it is, underneath the surface, we are all guilty. But the question that God asks of us in this passage this morning is, do you know the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away your sin? Do you know the Lamb who promises to free us from the guilt and shame and burden of sin in our life? For all those who come to faith in him. For to know this Lamb of God and to know him as the one who has removed that sin from us is to be free indeed before God. Do you know this freedom? Well, what does a life of a free person look like then? Uh, what was life to be like for the people of Israel as they left their slavery in Egypt behind uh, to pursue a new life? Uh, well, here I want you to see that there is a bit of a twist in the book of Exodus. For you might think that the book of Exodus is about a people who go from slavery to freedom. And uh, I think there is a, a great deal of truth in that. However, I want to suggest that, strictly speaking, the book of Exodus is really about a God who frees his people from one kind of slavery to another kind of slavery. Uh, you can see this in what Pharaoh says in chapter 12, verse 31. Chapter 12, verse 31, as he finally agrees to let the people of Israel go. Uh, it says there, Then he, that is Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, 
Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord, as you have said. Uh, the key word there is the word serve. Uh, it's the same word that was used back in chapter 4, verse 22. If you want to just flip back with me to chapter 4, verse 22. Uh, this is where God instructs Moses about what to say to Pharaoh. Uh, if you go there to chapter 4, verse 22, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But friends, I also want you to see the, that astonishingly, the word serve is also the same word that is used back in chapter 2, verse 23. So just come back another page or two with me to chapter 2, verse 23. And you'll notice there that uh, the word uh, is not translated serve, but it's translated as slavery. It says there, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The word for slavery is the same root word for serve that we saw in the other verses. In other words, the people of Israel are not freed by God in order to simply live their lives as they see fit, but rather they are to go from slavery under Pharaoh to slavery under God. Further, they are to go from the forced construction of buildings for Pharaoh under harsh conditions to the construction of God's temple, God's building, which occupies the second half of Exodus. But this is not a burdensome task, but it is a joyful task as the people of Israel ser serve now their gracious and loving and faithful king. Uh, and this service is one that leads to life. Uh, some of you might know that the soccer team that I love has done really badly this year. Uh, it was an awful year. Uh, we didn't win anything. Uh, it's actually quite distressing for me. Now, because they've had such a bad year, it's rumoured that some of their star players are now looking to leave this team and play for another team. But you know, when a soccer player leaves a team, they don't just go off and play soccer by themselves, do they? Uh, that would be a little bit strange. But rather, they leave one team and then they go to play for another team uh, where they come under the authority of another coach or another manager and they put in all their efforts to try and build up this new team that they are now a part of. Now that's what God is saying here about the people of Israel, isn't it? They are to go from slavery under Pharaoh to slavery under God. They are to uh, not build for Pharaoh anymore, but they are to build for God. And friends, I want to suggest that if you are a Christian person, then it's no different for you and for me. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, in Romans chapter 6, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, 
eternal life. In other words, if I have been set free from my sin, from the guilt and penalty and power of this sin in my life, then I am not to live this life in sin and self-indulgence and simply like the rest of the world. But no, I am now to live this life in holiness, putting aside the sin in my life so that I might be useful for God's purposes, set apart for the things that he wants me to do, which is to be a part of the building of his kingdom. And so if you are someone who has been freed by the blood of Jesus, are you someone also who is serving God in your life? Are you hard at work in building up the people of God? Are you doing that freely and joyfully and with all your heart, knowing that you are serving your gracious King who has freed you with the only freedom that matters? And you know, it's so encouraging when you see others who are growing in holiness and seeking to build up others in their lives, isn't it? Uh, Just this week, there were a group of men in our church who we have called our Iron Chefs, uh, who got together uh, last night uh, simply to cook a meal for some of our ladies so that they could get together and read the Bible together uh, and to uh, have fun and and do some crafts. Another sister at church told me that she had forgiven another person at church who's had who's said some hurtful things to her because she wanted to build this other person up. She didn't want uh, church to be a place of strife and fighting and bitterness and disunity. Uh, another brother this week purchased a book to give to his non-Christian friend in the hope that he could start a, a conversation with this friend a conversation about Jesus, because he knows that God's priority in this world is for people to come to freedom by the blood of the precious lamb. But this is how God's house is built, isn't it? Every week, um, I think I can tell a different story from people in our church. Uh, But how about you? Are you someone who is serving God in your life? growing in holiness and building up other people. For true freedom is not found in simply doing whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, but true freedom is found in serving God and in serving his people so that they will be built up in the faith. Well, the Passover in Israel was such a momentous occasion that uh, you might have noticed that it rearranged the Jewish calendar. Uh, The month of the Passover would now be the first month uh, of the Jewish calendar, which you see in the first few verses. But you can see there that the Passover was to be commemorated year after year after year in in the life of Israel. Now, it was to be commemorated each year in the form of of two feasts. Uh, The first feast was the Passover meal itself. Uh, In chapter 12, verse 3, uh, you can see there that on the 10th day of the first month, each Jewish family were to select a lamb without blemish. 
and on the 14th day they were to slaughter it and enjoy a meal by roasting it in the fire. The second feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, you can see that uh, further down in verse 18. And you can see there that uh, this festival was celebrated for seven days from the 14th day of the first month to the 21st day of the first month. And uh, during this week, the people of Israel ate unleavened bread, uh, which we've already heard is bread without yeast. And they were to eat this for the entire week. Now, uh, can you see there that there is a bit of an overlap between those two feasts? And the overlap comes on the 14th day, which uh, was the day when God passed over uh, the, the houses of Israel. However, I think that the two festivals celebrated uh, are actually a celebration of slightly different things. Uh, the, the celebration of the Passover was a celebration that God had liberated Israel from death as the Lamb died in their place. On the other hand, the celebration of the unleavened bread was a celebration of the fact that God had set them free from slavery. Because if you remember, uh, they, they left the nation of Egypt in a hurry, didn't they, as we, as we also heard, such that there was not even time for the bread to rise. Further, did you notice that there was another element to this commemoration? Uh, it was the redemption of the firstborn of Israel. Uh, if you come down with me a little bit more to chapter 13, verse 12, chapter 13, verse 12, you can see there that the people of Israel were to redeem every firstborn animal and every firstborn son from the Lord by paying a purchase price to him. Uh, this was in recognition that because of the exodus, the people of Israel did not belong to themselves, but they belonged to the Lord. And so they had to purchase them back. You see, they were. this was a reminder that Israel was God's firstborn son who belonged to him. And so each year the people of Israel would reenact the Passover in this way. And each year a new generation of Israel were expected to ask about the significance of this commemoration so that they also could participate in the Passover and have their lives and their identity shaped by these events, these momentous events of the past. Uh, now, friends, you might know that Christians also celebrate the Passover meal in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Just as the symbol of the Passover lamb in Egypt is now fulfilled in the Passover lamb, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, well, the commemoration of the Passover is now fulfilled in the Lord's Supper, which is the way that we remember Jesus' death for us. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus himself celebrates the Lord's Supper with his disciples precisely uh, during the Passover feast. It's a fact that's stated again and again by the Gospel writers so that we are left in no doubt that the Lord's Supper is a fulfilment of the original Passover meal. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, 
which we're going to uh, do together this morning, we do so to remember that Jesus, our Passover lamb, was slaughtered for us and that God's judgment for our sin has passed over us to give us true freedom, the freedom from our sin. And further, we celebrate this meal together in order to remember that we now do not belong to ourselves, but we now belong to God to serve him in our lives. But the Lord's Supper is more than just a mere remembering of something that happened in the past, isn't it? It is something that will only benefit us as we participate with faith in the thing that it commemorates, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in his death for us. You know, it's a bit like if my earthly father gives me a present. Uh, If I believe that my father hates me, then I'll simply think that what he has given me is, you know, just a, a mere token of him just trying to do his duty. As a result, it will do nothing to strengthen my relationship with him. In fact, it could even make things worse if he keeps on giving me gifts like this when I think badly of him. But if I believe or trust or have faith that my father loves me, then I will receive this gift as a token of his love for me and a pledge of his love for me. And in this case... My faith makes all the difference, doesn't it? And so if you are a person who has put your trust or your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have come to know God as your Father, then you are most welcome to celebrate this Lord's Supper with us this morning. As we eat the bread and drink the wine together in faith, be nourished by the fact that Jesus, your Passover lamb, my Passover lamb, was sacrificed in our place. Stand in awe as we see the judgment of death that has passed over us and be strengthened to live not for ourselves, not for yourself or myself, but in joyful service of the one who has set you free. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great kindness in sending our Lord Jesus Christ into this world. Uh, Thank you that he was perfect and without blemish. And we thank you that he is our Passover lamb who was sacrificed in our place for our sins on the cross. I thank you that because of him, the awful punishment of eternal death has passed over us. And thank you that in him we are free from the guilt and penalty and power of our sin to love and serve you in our lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to do this uh, more and more in our lives. We pray that you would move us so much by your grace and kindness that we might serve you joyfully in the building of your kingdom, that we might love one another that we might take an interest in each other's lives to build one another up, knowing that in serving you, we find what is true freedom and what is true life.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, friends, uh, I'm going to invite the music team to come up now, and uh, we're going to sing a song uh, that continues to teach us about what we're about to do in uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper.